0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to his people. And that means that when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. Today's Bible reading is from Psalm 96. I'll be reading from the CSB version. Please follow along in your own Bibles, and the passage will also be displayed on the screen. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all peoples. For the Lord is great and is highly praised. He is feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and enter his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Let the whole earth tremble before him. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. He judges the peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that feels it resound. That the fields and everything in them celebrate. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth, he will judge the world with righteousness, and the peoples with his faithfulness.
1: Now I've just answered this question uh, a moment ago, but I want you uh, with the people around you for just a moment to think of What are all the reasons that we could be going to the Middle East? What are all the reasons that could drive us, as a family, to go to the Middle East? I want you to brainstorm. One minute, meet the person beside you, do the old classic church thing, meet the people around you if you haven't met them before, but ask each other, what are all the reasons you can think of? Give you a minute. Okay. Can I call you back? It's always the awkward thing you're asked for a minute. Even if I give you five, you're just going to get the ball rolling. What would drive us to go to the Middle East? Now, I reckon there's a whole lot of answers that you could have had. There could have been what I said before, that people need to know Jesus. Uh, There could be uh, the fact that, you know, we've got a sense of adventure, that we're just wired that way even. You know, that's them. That's them. They just, you know, they they said they were, you know, cooped up in an Anglo town. They just want to go out and see the world. It could be a whole lot of things. They just really, really like hummus, pickles. That we just, it's not good enough at A1 Bakery. We just need something at El Jana's. We need something a little bit more legit. I want to suggest no. The reason that drives us to do that is the same thing that drives all of us to do a whole lot of things. What drives Christians in the Middle East to follow Jesus even though it could mean persecution. And when I say persecution, we we can throw that banner on it. I mean their families reject them. Their families could try to kill them. They have no work options. What drives them to follow Jesus? What drives people to give up their hard-earned money to send us, to go? People that you don't know us. Why? Why would you do that? But it's not just about us, it's not just about them. What drives you? What drives you to love your neighbour, to love your brothers and sisters? I don't know if you've heard this, this is something that I grew up hearing and I think it's helpful. If you haven't been hurt by our church, wait. Because you will get hurt. Cross and Crown is fantastic. It's not this church. It's the fact that your brothers and sisters who are sinful, you still have sin and you will hurt each other. So, what drives you to love one another? What drives you to forgive? What drives you to not fudge your report at work, even though it's going to be costly? What's going to drive you to plead for the Spirit's help to be patient? To be pure, to be like Christ. What drives you each and every day to take up your cross and follow Jesus? Now, that's a lot, but I want to suggest something that you may not have said is singing. Singing drives all of that. Now, depending on different personalities in the room, you might be terrified in hearing that. It's like, ah, yay, singing, the thing that I have to do for 20 minutes or so at church and for the rest of the week I pretend doesn't exist. Or you could be the person who is like, great, I'm waiting for my moment, the church just turns into a musical, and we just, it's not just then, it's like in the foyer, it's in the car park, I'm like welcomed in with a song by someone at the front door. We can have different responses to singing, but can I suggest that singing is what should drive us to do all of those things? Why? Because singing is what God... It's like He's standing as the director of not just our church, not just of our own lives, but of our whole universe calling us as people to sing. Have a look again at verses 1 to 3 with me. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all peoples. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Let the whole earth sing to him. What a command. Now of all the commands that your God gives you, That's not one that we usually expect to hear, but it's something that your God commands you to take part in, to sing to Him. Why? Now, it's not just that God, I want to say, is speaking poetically. I think a lot of us would be comfortable if it's like, oh yeah, declare or even say or believe that the Lord is God. Trust in Him, but sing to Him? Why would we do that? And why all the earth? Well, I want to suggest... First of all, singing is powerful. Now, we know that deeply. But singing is a powerful moment because singing is where truth and passion meet. Singing is where truth and passion meet. It's where they come together. It's a strange act. But, you know, every culture, every culture in the world sings. It might sound different, It might sound unusual or not as enjoyable to you and you're hearing another culture sing, but it is considered one of the few universal truths. Interesting that one of the other universal truths is that there is a belief in something beyond what we can physically see. It's a very new, modern, very here thing to believe that there's nothing beyond what we can see. Those are two of the universal truths to every culture that we sing, and that we believe there's something beyond what we can touch and see. Why? Think about it. Think about from Mongolian throat singing. Now, my brother-in-law, I thought this is a completely ridiculous category of thing. I don't know what this is. I thought, I th- I th- I thought it was just something that like one person did. And my, my brother-in-law for a while got really into Mongolian throat singing. Uh, to Tibetan monks chanting. From the Muslim call to prayer. To Taylor Swift's latest breakup song. Every culture has a song that it sings. As I said a few times, I'm very Anglo. I'm very British. I might not sound it, but I am. I'm so. I'm so. I did one of those DNA tests, and I'm more British than the average British person. Somehow, I don't know how that works, but it, it's true. But back in old country England, as my fa- where my family are from. Sing would be the pubs. It would be. The football matches. Singing is everywhere. It's just something of who we are. And it's because whatever we deeply believe, and when we passionately hold it, singing just makes sense. I see that in my kids, that they make up songs about things that they love. They just walk around the house singing their own songs. Singing is powerful because it is from both our hearts and our minds. But singing, there's something else interesting about singing, is that singing has both the ability to express what is within us and to shape us. Have you noticed that? Singing has the ability to be the overflow of what you uh, believe to be true and what you love or what grieves you, but also as we hear songs, they shape us. As we sing songs with one another at church, as we hear our brothers and sisters singing songs to each other, singing songs to you, that shapes you, your mind and your heart. It's powerful. But it means that if singing is that powerful, that so much of what it's possible to sing about or to hear sung to us is rubbish. So much of it is worthless. In fact... So much of it could even be poison for us if it has the ability to shape us so deeply. Now, I'm not saying don't listen to whatever it might be, but what we listen to shapes who you are. And I want to suggest, friends, that if singing is that powerful, then it makes sense that as the saved, that we would be singing to our Lord. It makes sense that God commands us to do it. And we sing about two things in particular, Uh, about the Lord. We sing about what we see, about who God is and what he has done. We sing about who God is and what he has done. Look at verses 2 and 3 again with me. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations his wondrous works among, go, among all peoples. Who and what? Keep your ear out for the who. Who God is and why we would praise Him. Listen there. Sing to the Lord, bless His name or praise His name. Celebrate Him. He, in who He is, is worth celebrating. Verse 3, declare His glory among all nations. But it's not just there. We see in verse 4, for the Lord is great and is highly praised. He is feared above all gods. Verse 6, splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty in his sanctuary. Now, I don't know about you, I have this problem that sometimes when I hear those words in the Bible like strength, glory, splendor, they can all just fall into this orb of words that mean good things and I don't really know what, what more to attribute to them. And I'm not, it, it might sound like I'm about to give you a definition of each of them. So you can, I'm not going to do that. But I just want you to sit for a moment and actually look at those words. Splendor, majesty, strength, beauty. You can see that the, the psalmist is trying to express how wonderful God is, but it's almost like he's reaching the limits of his words. Just everything great that could be great about someone is about the Lord, about God. All the greatest, it's... Think about it. God is beautiful, brilliant, radiant, splendor. His perfection, friends, outshines the sun. His strength, see his strength is celebrated there. His strength is the source of all human strength. And not only that, his strength is stronger than if... Every person who has ever existed, every nation with all of our ability to create warfare, if everything we could possibly do was set against God, it would be like trying to throw a feather at the sun. We have nothing because it all comes from Him and it pales in significance. He is the source of all strength. And if there is something good you love in the world friends that goodness comes from him. He's the original. He's the one who not only gives good but defines what is good, who shows what good is. The lovely, the great. The more you start to think about it, I really have grown to love the prayers and the songs of saints throughout the ages. Because you realize they're doing exactly what this psalmist is doing, is they're trying to find words to describe God. And the more they do it, the more that I feel my own heart to it, it's like, God is incredible. But the more that they do it, I realize there's just not enough words. There's not enough adjectives or superlatives to actually express how wonderfully great our God is. Sit in awe before your king. Think about who he is. Consider Him. Reflect on His character. But also, have a look at verse 9 with me. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. The splendor of His holiness. Let the whole earth tremble before Him. That is how great He is. That is how majestic. That is how everything He is. That everything should tremble before before Him. When we hear of God, when we see Him, that should be our response because, friends, whatever image you've curated for yourself, there's a version of yourself that you've projected to the world or at your work or in different places. It's not hidden from God. God knows. The perfect one knows you. Whatever you might have done to work yourself to that perfect place, worked yourself up the ladder, worked yourself to to tick off the, the house, tick off that certain salary that you're after, the more you keep doing it, you realize I have nothing. I have nothing before this God. When we look at him and his beauty, tremble. He is good. It's the first reason we sing to him, but not only because of who he is, but what he has done. Go back to verses 2 and 3 with me. Look at the second half of each of those verses. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Every day, proclaim the fact that he saves. Verse 3, second half, his wondrous works among all peoples sing about, proclaim the fact that he saves, and sing about that day by day. His wondrous works, I want to suggest there are so many things. So I don't want to suggest, when I say that I mean it's true, that there are so many wondrous works of God that we could celebrate. But notice it's his salvation that the psalmist particularly draws out. It's his salvation. And we don't have to go far. Think about There's a reason that the the exodus from Egypt is used time and time again as an example, as a demonstration of what God does when he saves. So think about it again for a moment with me. God reached down and he pulled his people out of slavery in Egypt. He had held them safe through plagues. He had sheltered them from death. He carried them through the sea. He walked with them through the desert. He brought to their stinging, dry mouths water in the desert. It's basically like he uber-delivered food right outside their door when they were grumbling that they wanted to go back to slavery and judgment. He brought food to them to remind them, I save you. Even in the wilderness, even in the desert, I'm all you need. He cleared the way for them in a new land, even though they were the weakest of all the peoples. And they were. Uh, my prior life, before I was a pastor, was I was a historian, which doesn't sound like much of a job because it's very confusing about what a historian's job actually is. I was an ancient historian. I looked at particularly this region of the world, of ancient Israel, the, the, the Near East, of Mesopotamia, and you know what people since the 1800s have started to question? They started to question whether Israel was actually able to do what they did in taking over the land. There's been hundreds of different theories of, oh, maybe this didn't happen, maybe that didn't happen, maybe it happened like this, because it's so unlikely that this people, Israel, actually took the land. They were so weak. There was nothing about them. If the Bible stories are true of them coming in and taking this land, then you would expect they would have had all these monuments before, they would have had all these signs of their wealth and their splendor and their strength, and they don't. So much so that historians started to question whether they really did it. Now, thankfully, since then, people have realized, no, that's they did. But they were so weak that it caused people now to even question whether they were there. And yet, God used them and he gave them a land. And what he kept doing was him saying, I save, I'm the saving God, you are the ones who need the saving, you are not the strong ones, you are not the great ones, and yet you are loved, you are loved so deeply that you are saved by the strong God. So that when we come to the New Testament, we see Jesus, Yeshua, his name literally means the Lord saves. That is what defines him and that is what he does. Jesus, the one who holds the diseased person and brings them life, who speaks a word and the demon possessed, the one who is imprisoned, finally breathes freedom, who calls to the dead and the decaying and they breathe new life and walk new steps. He brings salvation, but so much more than all of those, he whispers To the sinful soul, you are forgiven. And they can now call God Father. That is the salvation he brings. And then we move on from what we see written in the New Testament to our own lives, to the continuing work of Jesus and the Spirit in our lives. And we know God has done that for each and every one of you who trust in Jesus. And think about the millions, billions of times God has done this throughout history telling of his salvation day by day, we wouldn't be able to fit it in. If we actually attempted to tell of God's salvation day by day, constantly, we wouldn't be able to do it. There is too much that could be said. There are too many songs that could be sung. There are too many books that could be written. He is the saving God. Don't just think about the people that he's saved. Think about your own life. Think about who you were either before you were saved or think of the sin that so easily tries to encroach on your life and take hold of you and that every one of those God has saved you from both in his final judgment on that last day but also in each and every day that he makes you more and more and more like his son. God is the saving God. It makes sense for us That where truth and passion meet should resonate, should all revolve around the Lord. To sing of him and his greatness. And it's not just for us. Remember, sing to the Lord all the earth. Let the whole earth sing to him. Singing, friends. Remember, as I said before, that small fact feels very small that singing is universal more universal than almost anything else we know. Now, again, is this just a fact of anthropology? You know, humans in the way that we're wired, it just happens that every culture happens upon that. Well, no. Every culture has it because they've all been created by God. They are all people made in God's image. But it's not just that. It's actually more. It's because we have been given the ability to speak, and to sing because God gave it to us for a purpose. It's not just God showing off his creativity to go, oh, look, and they can also do this. Look, angels, look what they can do. Well done. No, it's because our singing has a goal, a purpose in mind to sing to the Lord. It's for him. And it's not just for people, notice in verses 11 to 13, it's somewhat poetic, but God wants all of creation to sing to him. Look to verse 11 there. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. It's almost like the psalm is going back through creation and everything that God has created and said it is good is being directed back to that God who created it to sing His praises, to rejoice in Him. Verse 12, Let the fields and everything in them celebrate. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy before the Lord, for He is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. All of creation is rejoicing in God. When you hear the birds singing, the purpose of their singing is to sing to God. As you hear the trees with their rustling in the wind the purpose of that is to show off how wonderful god is as you hear the cries of the animals as you hear the crashing of the waves it is all celebrating the lord i was reading a book and i don't remember who what book this was i've tried to find it I have no idea anymore so i'm going to attribute it to i'm not the first person to say this but i have no idea who it is Uh, If you know, tell me later. But they pointed out that everything in all creation celebrates God. God says, see, cry out, trees, rejoice, and they do. And yet, humanity, you, me, we're the only ones that hear God's call to rejoice in Him and say no. The very good part of creation... The thing that was supposed to be the pinnacle to show off how good God was to the rest of creation is the very thing that refuses to rejoice in Him. Which is why this call for the whole earth to sing to Him is actually a call for the whole earth, for us as people to join in the song of creation, the song of the Lord to say, He is great, He is wonderful. Friends, if you don't actually know this great God, if you don't know, if you know that you, you know that your own life is full of living for yourself but brokenness. And you've tried to, to gain that status and you've tried to build up this reputation for yourself, and if someone just looked at you the wrong way, you feel like at any moment it could just crumble around you. If you see the Lord, if you actually see that there is a good God who loves you and created you, who you have completely ignored. Can I encourage you today, see how great his salvation is and come join us as we sing to him, as we declare that he is the good God. Join us in that celebration. So friends, I want to say, sing to the Lord, celebrate how wonderful he is. But it's not just for us, because remember, it's a fact of all cultures that we would sing. We've been trying to prepare our kids for the fact that they're going to be woken up at about 5 a.m. every day by the call to prayer. So we've been playing it so they can hear it. What can we do when we hear this? Well, we, can, we, we can pray. We can pray to our good God. We can pray truth that we know from the scriptures. But you know what would be so wonderful? If those calls to prayer that go out across the whole Muslim world started turning off, And not singing to Allah, not declaring that Muhammad is his prophet, but those same voices started singing a new song. They started celebrating the true God. Uh, a, A young lady who became a Christian at Laneway last year, her father is a Buddhist monk. And so it was a huge thing for her to try and work out how does she talk to her dad about the fact that she now trusts in Jesus. And for him... He didn't care. Now, I'm not saying I don't know enough about uh, Buddhism and I'm sure there are many who would deeply care if their children uh, stopped calling themselves Buddhists and start calling themselves Christians, but for him, I don't care. It's all all the same. It's all you. You do what... And her heart ached because she realized her dad doesn't realize the difference between what he sings for and the true God that saved her. She almost wanted her dad to get a little bit angry, to get a little bit upset, because then she could say, no, but he's good. No, no, he is the one that you're for. But how good would it be if every Buddhist monk started singing to Jesus? But not just there, here as well, everywhere. If every person who sings for themselves, for their own identity, not just sung for for ourselves, but the songs got turned to a new song of salvation. Friends, this is our prayer as we go. We want the whole earth to sing for the Lord. But your singing, I want to remind you this one last time before we actually sing together again. Singing shapes us. Singing is both the overflow of what God has done. We remember who God is and what he has done. He is the great, glorious, saving Lord. And so that overflows. But singing not just overflows, but it shapes who we are. And so when you sing to one another, it can be so easy for us to fall into a trap of week by week, I come to church and this is the part that I stand and this is the part that I sit and this is the part that I laugh and this is the part that I do this and this is the part that I go to the bathroom, this is the part that I check Facebook or whatever people check now, I don't know. But these are the things that I just do through church. No, singing is a powerful thing that you have been commanded to do by your good God, not to drag you into this thing that is horrible. Think about it. There are so many things that God could call you to do, and he's calling you to sing. And as you sing, you're not just shaping your own heart, You're shaping the hearts of each of your brothers and sisters around you and you're declaring to anyone who might be amongst us who doesn't yet know him, this is how great he is. In whatever way you show your joy and expression in song, we're not all going to be dancing, we're not all going to be jumping up and down, but show the joy that is in you because of your God and show it, show it to people, not to be showy, but to express the wonder of our God. And that shapes each and every one of you. A singing church shapes each other. But don't just sing for your own heart, to shape your own heart and for others. Sing to the Lord, not all, just all the earth, but sing to the Lord for all the earth. Because as Adam said, the gospel needs to go out here all across Melbourne. It's what, what brought us here. It's because we were so convinced there, there is so much need for more people to bow the knee before Jesus here in Melbourne. And it aches. And it was the biggest reason that we were torn between working out whether we stay or whether we go. Because there are so many people, and it kills us, that there are so many people who don't know it. Your singing shapes each other to go, yes, this salvation is true, this God is true, he is wonderful, he's beautiful, he's incredible, he has all the things that I couldn't even possibly think of saying, let's go. Let's go tell our work friends, our neighbors. Let's meet our neighbors. Let's tell our work friends, I'm a Christian. Start bringing it in. Not not reluctantly, but with joy because of how great he is. But not just that. Not just for the sake of Melbourne. Not even just for the sake of Australia. Sing to each other because as you sing to each other... You are shaping each other's hearts to go, God is not just my God. He is not just our God. He is bigger than Cross and Crown. He is bigger than Melbourne. God is the God of all nations, all peoples. And there are so many people who have such a whisper of singing to their God with tears and joy, but it's a whisper in their land. So sing to send out people. I would love so much. Ellen and I would love... With such a deep part of our hearts to hear cross and crown, there's, you know, that person? Yeah, the person you chatted to, person you've never met. They've decided to leave. They're going to Central Asia. They're going to now very lost Europe. They're going for the sake of all peoples worshipping God. And you know what one of the most joyful things that I brings me to tears every time I think about it and I'm trying I'm I'm making this sentence really long to try and stop my tears. There we go. Did it. One of the things that is just I pray so deeply is that there are people that as you send us who right now are answering that call to prayer every day, five times a day, and yet you will get to meet them around the throne of your king on that final day and you will get to sing them. And Ellen and I have this hope that we'll actually get at this moment to go, hey, you prayed for this person, you didn't know, but this person now trusts in Jesus. Look, they're here with us, your brothers and sisters. We get to sing. They are from there, you are from here, but you prayed for them. You sung for the sake of them to come and sing around the throne with us. Would you send us? Would you send each other? Would you be sent yourself so that every nation, every person can hear of the Lord and sing to him? I'm going to pray. Father, you are glorious. Fill our mouths with true words, joyous true words overflowing that tell of how great your salvation is we ask that you would change all of us and that you would be bringing many peoples across the world to join in that song and we pray that we would see each other around that throne for your glory amen